This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Justice Action Network. Justice Action Network is the largest bipartisan organization working to reform the justice system at the federal level and across the country. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. With the fate of a major bipartisan criminal justice reform bill hanging in the balance on Capitol Hill, two of the bill's co-sponsors, Senators Dick Durbin and Chuck Grassley, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, joined the Washington Post on Tuesday, December 4th, to discuss the likelihood that Congress will move forward with a vote on the proposed law before the end of the year. Other speakers, including Governor Tom Wolf of Pennsylvania, as well as supporters and opponents of federal and state criminal justice reform measures, highlighted important debates around reform of mandatory minimum sentencing, the country's bail system, police community relations, and other key issues on the nation's criminal justice agenda. In this segment, Pennsylvania elected officials, including Governor Tom Wolf, discuss steps they have taken to address the state's prison population and prevent recidivism. Let's listen. Well, good morning. Thank you all for being here. I'm really pleased uh, to be having this conversation. Welcome to the Washington Post and Post Live. Uh, this morning, I'm pleased to kick off our program with a conversation about Pennsylvania and the efforts it's taking to lead the nation in reform. I want to welcome uh, the Secretary of Pennsylvania's Department of Corrections, John Wetzel, member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, Cheryl DeLozier, and the Governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone, uh, both here in the audience as well as if you're watching via live stream, uh, that you can chip in your own questions. I mean, I've got plenty of my own, but if, if you <laughs> want to weigh in, I happily will take yours. Let's, let's get some difficult ones for these folks as well. Um, and so you can send them to us uh, using the hashtag postlive. Uh, and so I want to jump right into the conversation because there's a ton to start about. And, and, and let's start uh, with you, Governor Wolf. This, in June of this year, uh, Pennsylvania became the first state in the country to automatically seal misdemeanor records with the signing of the Clean Slate Act. Uh, was there a specific strategy behind starting the reform process with the Clean Slate Act? And can you talk a little bit about what, what, it, what the implications of the act are? Well, I, I came to, I've been in politics now for a little less than four years, but uh, Representative Delosier really was one of the leaders in this and Secretary Wetzel, who actually was in the administration before me, I, I held him over. He, he, he <laughs> to serve with me. Uh, they were really the, the leaders. I came out of a business background, and, and Clean Slate made so much sense to me because uh, in my company, I found that, that hiring people with a, a criminal background actually was a good uh, move. Uh, these, in most cases, turned out to be very, very good employees who wanted a second chance. And so clean slate legislation, as it was uh, being proposed and, and moving through the, the legislature, made a lot of sense to me. Of course. Representative Jolos, do you want to talk a little bit about what is in, what, what the clean slate legislation does? I know you sure. were one of the primary sponsors of it. Sure. Um, bringing the bill forward and uh, the ability for us to get started on this issue, a lot of the advocacy groups came to us and talked about uh, the plight, and we obviously have talked to uh, the secretary about those that are leaving prison, those that are going out into our communities. And um, and sometimes it's not even prison. Sometimes the, the 
being a misdemeanor because with the bill uh, we deal with in, in Pennsylvania one of the things that I learned is um, you know we have three tiers of misdemeanors one two and three uh, but many of our misdemeanor ones in many other states are considered felonies mm -hmm. um, so the bill concentrated on misdemeanor twos and threes definitely as a total clean slate and misdemeanor ones are ones that are are eligible um, but possibly reviewed by a DA and, and by a judge uh, mainly because of the differentiation between other states surrounding us and everything as to what an M1 is versus a felony. So the ability uh, and the conversation that we had was honestly having a lot of bringing both sides together. Um, because certainly when you start the conversation, you know, certain groups would say, oh, well, we need to have felonies clean slated. <clears throat> well, that that wasn't going to be part of the compromise because we mm -hmm. needed to, to do that and come to the middle. Um, and many other people said, oh, well, why should we give anybody a second chance? So you had these divergent views that we needed to bring together. Um, and I think that clean slate was a good compromise and something that um, was a good step and also will impact many thousands of people in Pennsylvania. Certainly, you know, when I, when I look and, and think about this legislation, I think about the idea of collateral consequences, right? Mm -hmm. when, when someone um, is incarcerated or convicted of a crime, uh, the idea that even once they've paid their crime, perhaps the way our system is set up, there's a long running consequence to that even after they've paid their debt to society. Secretary Wetzel, can you talk a little bit about uh, the ideas both the collateral consequences and also recidivism, right? That the, that the hope is that, I think we all hope, no matter our politics, that once someone has gone to prison, when they get out, they'll be able to not commit any additional crime and end up back in prison. How do steps like this, the Clean Slate Act, how, how, do this, how does this make it easier um, to deal with something like recidivism and keep people from ending up back in prison? Yeah, I mean, citizens don't benefit, <clears throat> excuse me, for uh, putting a scarlet letter on someone for committing a crime. And if you look at the research, uh, you know, Al Bloomstein has done some work around uh, at some point, someone who's criminally involved is less likely to commit a crime than you or I. Not the governor, of course, <laughs> but you or I. Um, so from a public policy standpoint... I mean, we can break some news. There's a reason I work for two administrations here. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you for that vote of confidence. <laughs> but, um, but there, you, you know, I think it, it's reasonable for someone to have a path to redemption. Uh, and we benefit when people uh, get reintegrated into the community and, and can become good, productive citizens. We all benefit from that. Um, so I don't know why, from a public policy standpoint, we would do things to inhibit their ability to be successful. And I think that's what a criminal record does. So this is a great first step. Hopefully we can continue to push the envelope more. I mean, we have a, in Pennsylvania, we have a min-max sentencing scheme. To me, it makes a lot of sense that we would sentence someone to a finite period after which their record is sealed. Um, so this was a great first step in that. But I, I think we benefit from, from helping people be successful if that's the goal of the criminal justice system. And just to add to that is a sense that with the bill, it's 10 years. It's 10 years without any interaction with police. Mm -hmm. and, and as to the individuals, you know, there are, there are exclusions. It's not a sexual crime. It's not a violent crime. It's not a crime with a gun. You know, there are exclusions. So we're dealing with individuals that made a stupid mistake. They had a bad night. And while not condoning the action, the bottom line is still a matter of should that implicate the problem of not getting a job or not getting housing for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing with individuals that have moved on um, from that stupid night or from that I incident, and they're now parents. They, they have children that they're supporting. They have families that they want um, to have a good life. And this blemish on their record as a misdemeanor is impacting them many, many years afterwards. So I think it was a good step because we moved from perpetuity of it never happening to 10 years, um, basically letting them prove themselves that they are good citizens, they made a mistake, and they deserve that second chance. Certainly. Now, Governor, as the Secretary talked, he used the words first step over and over and over again. This was a good first step. This was a good first step. You have since 
talked about kind of a multi-pronged package of other reforms, whether it be uh, sentencing reform or pretrial reform. Uh, what are some of the other steps you would like to see Pennsylvania take, and are, which of them do you think are most realistic politically, and which ones are you worried there might be some difficulty with? Well, I think there's broad bipartisan support for making sure this is just the first step, that we do have a lot of things to do to make sure that we're uh, reducing our recidivism rate, that we are actually reintegrating uh, folks back into uh, the family life, into our economy. So there are other things I think we ought to do. I think we, we can do some expansion of, of clean slate. Uh, and the representative talked about some of the things we, we might do. I think we should do things uh, with uh, sentencing guidelines. Uh, the uh, person who was really in favor 20 years ago in Pennsylvania of mandatory minimum sentences and was really strict has had a conversion. And uh, a Republican state senator who is really passionate about uh, changing this and, and moving away from what he thought was right 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, we need to have bail bond reform. Uh, Meek Mill was a poster child for probation reform. Pennsylvania is one of the few states without a cap. Even Texas has a cap on on the amount of time that you can be um, liable for probation. We, we need to do everything we can to, uh, I think, make sure that everybody understands our criminal justice system is in fact just mm -hmm. and fair for everybody. And we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to get people back into the economy, back into family life, back into our communities as seamlessly as possible. So we have a lot of work to do. Certainly. Representative, do you, as, as we talk about this, some of these things seem like there would be some broad bipartisan consensus for. There are others that I could imagine there would be some Republican at least uh, hesitation about or, or, or potentially pushback. Are there areas that you think might be difficult? Um, and, and what types of additional reforms might you support? Um, I Sure. I, th I think that, um, you know, as I talked about, these are misdemeanors from the clean slate that we made th that step. I think once you go into felonies, um, Personally, I will have an, more of a concern, and mainly because I had some concerns over some of the M1s, mm -hmm. um, because taking a look at that type of crime, it is a premeditated, uh, thought-out crime. And so that's when people kind of take that step back and say, this person contemplated doing this and made a bad choice. Um, do, do they absolutely need um, the ability to get a good job? Do they need that training? once they come out of jail or prison. Absolutely. But I think the pushback is going to be having that conversation as to where is that fine line as to someone who um, intentionally went out to harm. And I would bring up the issue of where I'm going to come from as well is the fact of where is the victim's voice in all of this. Mm -hmm. um, I absolutely support the fact that we don't want people going back into our prison system and our system should be just. But what I would also say is the fact that the perpetrator of the crime hurts someone in most cases if it's if it's a, a person crime um, the ability for us to say what about the victim's voice um, where do they you know they may be irreparably harmed um, maybe someone was uh, was murdered maybe somebody was was raped where is their voice in this as well so I think that's going to be some of the pushback as to the fact of making sure that we don't sit there and, and every the system goes totally to the side of the perpetrator and forget about the victim of that crime whenever it happened Certainly. I think the nice, the nice thing, though, is, is that there'll be all kinds of conversations about 
you know, the, where we go with this, mm -hmm. but we, we have a broad agreement that we really want to get people out of jail, right. back Absolutely. into our communities, back into the economy. And, and I think that is something that, that is a good starting point because, mm -hmm. um, and as with any policy, and, and that's why I enjoy policy, because mm -hmm. you see the far right and you see the far left of a conversation and you figure out where the middle is for good public policy. And any bill that goes through, and I've always said this in, in, in anything that we have passed or any governor has signed into law, if either side, if both sides come out a little kind of irritated with something, that means they both gave a little and it's probably a good bill. So the governor, she said she likes irritating you. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, I mean, because that, that is one of the questions, right? With clean slate, it's a question of, all right, do you expand this potentially to felonies? And it speaks kind of broadly to where this conversation is going and even where it is now. Even in Pennsylvania, a state that now has thousands fewer inmates than it did even just a few years ago, but on a kind of the leading edge of de-incarceration, uh, we do hit a point where you can only de-incarcerate so much before you start really having to grapple with what do you do with people who've been convicted of, of violent crimes, of, of, of crimes with real victims, um, or that might have been premeditated. And it speaks to, I mean, even as you kind of sussed out and talked through your thinking on that, it speaks to where this conversation is going and how it's likely to get possibly even more difficult because of because of those, those I mean that's why I think data has to drive the day and, and I think it's really important how you frame these conversations I know when we started uh, Governor Wolf kicked off our justice reinvestment initiative in 2015 the framing was look we want to, we need to get better outcomes mm -hmm. uh, we need to have people come out of prison less likely uh, to commit a crime than when they came in implicit in that is putting the right people in prison for the right dosage for the right <coughs> amount of time uh, but he also set the parameters that everything would be measured off two things, less crime and less victims. Um, so you have to have everyone's voice around the table, including victims. But, but the reality of, of uh, you know, we often talk about victims and perpetrators. Uh, they come from the same communities, and oftentimes uh, same family members and those kinds of things. So if we frame the conversation and we focus on data, I mean, look at the data under, under Governor Wolf. We have almost 3,500 less inmates. Uh, from the day he started to now. Uh, index crimes are down. Violent crimes are down slightly. Uh, and we have less crime. So less crime means less victims, uh, less inmates, less prisons, less spending. I mean, what's wrong with that, right? So we can find, if we, if we look at things through a political lens, and, and we're in D.C., so uh, <laughs> there's your, your best evidence, you never get anything done. If we wrap, wrap solutions around problems, and we take away the, the philosophical uh, lenses we like to look things through and just look at outcomes, we have no choice but to continue to reform our system because our outcomes are not good. What do you think, to follow up on that, what do you think is the most pressing issue still in Pennsylvania? If, if you could magic wand tomorrow, convince all these politicians, you know, you said it wasn't about politics, but if tomorrow you... Politics, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. as, 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 as someone leading the Department of Corrections, if there was one thing you could have tomorrow, what would it be? Yeah, I, I think we still have some work to do around uh, sentencing reform <laughs> and, and right-sizing uh, our prison population. And again, look, so we're, we're in the midst of uh, a huge opioid epidemic that everybody cares about. Uh -huh. It's been a big issue for the General Assembly, been a big issue for the governor. The reality of the people who are coming in prison today, we've seen a doubling of the amount of individuals coming in from opioids, from 6% of our new commits to 12% of our new commits. The, the profile of these individuals are someone who do not have a long criminal history, Created a, uh, committed a bunch of crimes in a relatively short period of time, and because of the number of crimes they're coming to state prison, they do not benefit. We do not benefit from them coming to state prison. If we don't address the addiction, they're just going to be older and angrier and still addicted, right? So mm -hmm. they're likely to commit another crime. 
but we can divert them and put them into uh, treatment infrastructure and address that root cause of the crime without um, putting them in state prison at $42,000 a year. So I think if, just from a financial standpoint, we got to make good decisions. If someone who is low risk, like the person I described or the people who we're seeing come in the system now, are relatively low risk, they got addicted and committed a bunch of crimes, they're going to come out worse the state prison. Nobody benefits from that. So I think it's that kind of stuff. Like if, if we all agree that, that we have a serious opioid epidemic and we agree that treatment works and there's things we can do, yes, holding uh, some criminal justice consequences over someone's head, absolutely appropriate. But putting them on the right step with a corrections continuum, um, so that the step that's most likely to get them out of a life of crime is what we have to do. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sentencing reform and, and some of the conversation around that, we're, we're having this conversation at a time when our elected officials just a few miles down the road, not even a few miles down the road, are debating a bipartisan criminal justice bill um, to, to deal uh, with some of our federal incarceration rates. Uh, Governor, what role, you know, the President of the United States has come out and said he supports this legislation. There are some questions about how <laughs> much he is doing to support it. Uh, but, but what message do you think that sends, and do you think it's important that the president has kind of weighed in in support of, of that legislation? And do you think the federal government should be doing more as it relates to this type of reform? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think any uh, leader who wants to weigh in in support of reform here is, is a good thing. And again, as, as I think we, we all uh, believe, we're trying to do the, the right thing by the citizens of Pennsylvania. Uh, and by the people who are incarcerated. We, we want justice. People who commit a crime should be punished. The punishment should be appropriate to the crime, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it should be uh, appropriate for, for what the needs of society are. So w we, we have a lot of, of uh, good things that can come out of this. I think what we need to stop doing is conflating uh, criminal justice and punishment and, and being really tough on, on crime as, as something that's just going to uh, solve all our problems. It's, it's become an ideological thing. We need to look at it practically. We need to look at the data and say, we can have a better society. We can have a better society all around if we do this right. And that's what we're trying to do in Pennsylvania. And, and some of the bills that have gone into, into play have taken steps in order to make our justice system different. Mm -hmm. um, body cam uh, uh, with police and having so you know you have a third eye in a situation, you know what happened in that situation, and that protects both individuals as well as police, as well as post-DNA, you know, conviction, uh, the ability for folks to to challenge if, if they, uh, mm -hmm. for their innocence, as well as the flip side of that uh, with the bill that went through that was signed um, into law, the ability for us to collect DNA um, in order to close co uh, cold cases, and, and again, get that justice for the victims, as well as the fact of have the right person in jail, and not have somebody that's in jail um, uh, that's that's in, that's wrong, and we can be proven and can be proven by DNA. So we've been able to pass laws, and, and the governor has signed them um, in order to make our Pennsylvania system changes. Um, and I think that a lot of that, and as well as others that are in the pipeline that maybe didn't make it to the governor's desk this last session, we can continue to push and and, and uh, get that compromise to get it there. Sir, it strikes me that you guys are doing so much in Pennsylvania, and the governor, as you talked, you know, you're, you're saying that you appreciate that any elected official from the president on down. Doing, doing this is a good thing. Someone who's written about this for several years, sometimes it is even a little perplexing to me that we're still having the same conversation about the same bill from maybe a few years ago. I mean, do you ever, as the governor of Pennsylvania, want to just call Mitch McConnell and say, hey, call for the vote? I mean, do you have any frustration with where this is at a federal level compared to the work you guys are doing at a state level? Yeah, I do. And I, I think sometimes it maybe it takes someone coming in from the outside. I mean, again, I've been in politics for four years. You come in from the outside and you sort of say, let's, let's take a rational, mm -hmm. logical look at this. What is the right 
thing to do here. And I think we, we, we can, with some, some disagreements on means, but we can have a broad agreement about the ends, uh, and we can take it out of that ide ideological, I think, uh, box it's been trapped in for so long in places like Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the, the federal government has done some really good things around criminal justice reform. I mean, Second Chance Act is, no, you know, this is the 10th year anniversary of Second Chance Act, really investing and starting reentry. Justice reinvestment, which we've benefited from, a relatively small federal investment, allows states to become data-driven and make good policies and reduce their population. Uh, this First Step Act that, that we're talking to, it, it baffles me. Uh, I mean, there is broad support on both sides. Um, it baffles me the impact that one or two people can have in, in holding up good policy, uh, evidence-based that's likely to get outcomes in a system that's struggling. You know, when you talk about some of the things in the provisions of the First Step Act where you're talking about relatively, you know, meager sentencing reform stuff and a lot of improving uh, the federal prison system to include risk assessment, which has been around forever. Uh, and, and we should be doing that and improving programs and incentivizing programs. These are all things that will lead people to be less likely to commit a crime. And that's what the focus has to be on. Certainly. I asked you a version of this question, but Molly on Twitter asked it even better, and so I'm going I'm to defer to her. Um, if there was one thing uh, that each of you could do tomorrow to change the criminal justice system for the better, what would it be? Who do you want to start with? Well, who's got a good answer? <laughs> I'll start. We'll uh, work our way this way. I would, I would fully fund uh, high-quality early childhood education. Yeah. It's very simple. Uh, <laughs> the reality is you get great outcomes. If you get a kid reading at grade level by third grade, uh, they're likely to graduate. We know kids who drop out of school are uh, more likely to be incarcerated. We know we did a study in 2014 in Pennsylvania. young black kid who drops out of school, 70% lifetime likelihood of being incarcerated. So if you really want to improve criminal justice outcomes, improve education, uh, and, and it's very simple. The problem is what we talk about it with early child education is cost avoidance 16 years from now, and in a political environment where we never want to raise taxes and we, we really want to watch every cent, it's difficult to sell fully funding high-quality early childhood education. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I just want to piggyback on that. I think education from uh, infant uh, and toddler up through higher education, uh, we, we need to do a, a good job there uh, in any limited government, market economy, uh, if, if we don't invest wisely there, we're going to pay for it in, in uh, incarceration. And, and uh, so Pennsylvania, I think, is working on, on that. But I, I agree with, with John. If, if we did a good job in education, uh, that would take care of a lot of our criminal justice issues. I mean, 40% of new commits to us don't have a high school diploma. That's not complicated math to do, right? That's a big number, yeah. And, and I, I would say on two sides of this, um, one of the issues that I've been trying to push um, uh, on the victim side of it is, is the ability for um, them to be made whole um, with restitution um, and being paid back for a crime that was committed against them. So that's something that, that I've worked on before and, and will continue to work on. Um, but the, the, the other side of it is also we had talked about um, with probation and parole um, and the system and, and talking to many of the people in Pennsylvania that perform these jobs.
jobs uh, for the folks that are out, and they are um, overwhelmed. Um, and the, keeping track of individuals, they have very big caseloads, and I know we've talked about this in many hearings that we've had and everything else, um, but I also believe taking a look at the, the post, um, uh, what, what does happen when the inmate comes out, who is overseeing them, how can we guide them better, how can we give them better opportunities in that regard, um, and our, our probation and parole officers, and, and they, are, they have a very big caseload. So I also think at, at taking a look at that, and whether it's more probation and parole officers necessarily, I don't know the, the exact answer, and you might have more to say on that, but it's, it's the ability to say um, how can we make uh, the person coming out have the best um, support system from the state um, to make sure that they, they make the right choices, hopefully. I mean, mm -hmm. they obviously make the choices in the end, but um, give them what is necessary, the best direction, so that they can start their lives and, and hopefully become part of the community and not uh, go back and visit one of your uh, prisons. Well, the governor talked about this earlier with abbreviating uh, probation and parole life. We have extraordinary long probation and parole life. You know, someone who's, who's in the community for five years, highly unlikely to come back. So is there, an, it, does it make sense from a financial standpoint, from a caseload standpoint, to supervise them like they just got out of prison a day ago when they're out for six, seven, eight, nine years? So I think it, it's, it's never either or, it's always both and. I mean, I think there's looking at who's on probation for how long, uh, and, and being reasonable about wrapping supports and identifying folks who are going down a bad road and take more of a supportive, uh, plug them into treatment before they need to come to jail kind of approach. Certainly. Before we wrap up, I've got one more question for the governor. The, you know, we have this conversation at a moment when Pennsylvania is as important as it ever is in our big electoral politics. We're coming out of a midterm election where I think a lot of Democrats are excited by um, how many votes you got as well as, as, as some other folks. Are. You, you're not that excited? You want I'm more? excited. <laughs> I like it. The, uh, He'll take it. He'll take but, it. it. So it strikes me that you all are on the leading edge of this at a, um, at, on an issue that many people still fear could be demagogued, right? We are even in the last few days, many of us here have been thinking back to the old Willie Horton ads in part because of the, the passing of former President uh, George H.W. Bush. What do you think some of the political messages that, that you as a governor can take steps like this, can work with Republican colleagues to, to make these real reforms in a system and still be, by the measures I've seen, a relatively popular elected official? I, I think Pennsylvania, and I'm selling here, is a very common sense <laughs> commonwealth. And, and I think what we're doing here, working across the aisle, is, is very common sense. I mean, there are things on the prevention side, as, as John and I talked about in education, uh, and there are things on the criminal justice side to, to make sure our system of corrections and working at the, the, the back end of this uh, are working better. But I think all of us in Pennsylvania are taking a common sense approach, not an ideological approach. What is the best way to do this? And I think uh, it, 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 common sense actually works. And you think that could mm -hmm. resonate nationally? Do you think other states could follow I sure those? hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're at the polls, you hear time and time again. I mean, all of us will hear that. Any elected official is, I'm so tired of the nasty politics. I'm so tired of the, the combativeness. I'm so tired of the divisiveness of Republicans and Democrats and everything else. And so I do think that that resonates. I do think that the ability for us to say, look, this, this especially with Clean Slate, this was bipartisan. This was the Chambers of Commerce, law enforcement, the ACLU, the, you know, all these groups that typically are not on the same slate. Um, and, and not on the same team, um, all coming together. And so I think that that also um, can be a selling point for, like you're saying, not being the, 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 you know, go down the rabbit hole kind of thing, because so many different groups come together on in support of this. We, we need to figure out how to repackage it, because in most other contexts, what we did in Pennsylvania would have been packaged as very radical legislation. The way we did it was very common sense. Of course. 
So that common sense approach, that conversation, that, that does sound like a message that a lot of voters, whether it be in Pennsylvania or where I'm from in Ohio, would find attractive. The idea that it's not about this kind of partisan bickering or warring. Uh, you know, is, is there a message for our national politicians, for our federal politicians to take from both the way you guys have packaged and the way you guys have had these conversations? It's wrap solutions around problems. That's it. Forget about the right, the left. Wrap solutions around problems. Yeah. Have the conversation. I mean, truly, sit down at a table, and, and a lot of times people, it, it's great to be in front of a microphone and, and spout off the talking points of the, of the right or the left, um, but the ability to actually sit down at a, at a table and say, what is it that you want to accomplish and how can we go about doing it? I think you have more, you just have to have that conversation and the starting point. Figure out what the problem is, figure out what the options are for solutions, and, and have that conversation. And a lot of times people don't even want to take that first step to have the conversation mm -hmm. because they just figure it's a it's a non-starter. That's actually what democratic politics, with a small d, democratic politics is supposed to be about, where we have conversations, we have disagreements, we have, uh, we, we work through those and, and get to public policies that actually work. Of course. Well, unfortunately, we've got to wrap this great conversation. I could, we could have it all day, um, but uh, we've got another great panel coming up right afterwards. And so if we could have a quick round of applause for our, all of our great guests right now. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.